Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, good to be back again. Um, I, in case you don't know, I've been gone for a while. This is my second week back from a sabbatical. Uh, after years, thank you, Josiah. That does not change your stance anywhere in this church, but thank you nonetheless. So, uh, wasn't you? I don't know who it was. It's all good. Uh, it's, it's funny how you get in a pattern of holidays and the seasons, and when you're gone for a couple of them, it feels weird jumping right back into Christmas right now. It's like, oh, it's upon us. Uh, but I am excited, so excited to jump into our series today. Uh, as we're kicking off into it, I want us to introduce with this question and just ask you, uh, just to kind of get your mind sparked on where we're going to go today. Have you ever in your life been in a situation where you felt like you were an afterthought? You, you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe you showed up to a Christmas party or something of that nature and you realized you were not meant to be there. Or you showed up to a dinner party and you realized they had no thought of you, like, oh, this was a mistake. Uh, I've had a few of those in my life where uh, my grandmother, and actually Emily's grandmother too, when we first got married, uh, we showed up to a family Christmas thing, and I realized after I opened my present that they got me, they did not expect me to be there. Because when I opened it up, I could tell they went and rummaged through their closet, found something that they could find, wrapped it, and gave it to me. Because uh, as you may or may not be able to tell from where you sit, I'm a rather large man, and generally grandmothers are not my size. And so when I open up an extra small hoodie with paint stains on it, I get the inclination that maybe that I was an afterthought to this party. <laughs> uh, or even Emily's uh, grandma's went to one, and same sort of thing, open it up, and I got these uh, pajama pants. I'm like, I don't think these are for a man nor for me. Uh, very uncomfortable situation, but you smile and act grateful anyways, but there's that weird feeling of, I, I wasn't meant to be here. And maybe you can't relate to that, and so I have a video I'm going to show you where you can vicariously live through this lady and understand how she feels. I am not condoning the show, even though my wife loves it, called The Bachelor or Bachelorette, if you will. I, I guiltily maybe got interested in this one episode because it had an NFL player named Jesse Palmer who was on it, and I was curious what's going on with them, and he had an infamous situation where they give out roses for the, the girls he wants to continue on in this dating show thing, and I won't say anymore, but just, just feel for this young lady here, if you will. Go ahead and play that clip. Katie. Ma'am. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Chris, I need to talk to you real quick. Ladies, no excuses. I forgot her name. That wasn't the girl I wanted to give it to. It's the Karen. I said Katie. I froze and forgot. I said Katie. We gotta do that again. Somehow we gotta do that again. Katie. I accidentally called out the wrong name, but I would like to extend to you the option of staying. I'll stay and see how things go. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so yeah. much. Why not? <laughs> Boy, doesn't she feel special. <laughs> I feel like that's a match made in heaven right there. Um, if you've never had that feeling, well, you've hopefully never had that feeling, I, I can just say it doesn't feel good to feel or think that you were a mistake, right? <laughs> that uh, you were not meant to be here. This all happened because of some sort of mistake. You may say, what does this have to do with Christmas and this season? What, what's, what's it have to do? Well, is there a similar connection that you can make with Jesus and his birth? I mean, is he simply here because of a mistake? Is Jesus only here because of what happened in the Garden of Eden? Like, if that had never taken place, would Jesus have ever existed? Is that why he's here? 
Is Jesus some sort of reluctant bystander that suddenly needed to be thrust in the situation because God's perfect order and creation got messed up? And so, well, I, I, need, I guess I need you here. Is, is that where we pick up Jesus in the story? And it's easy to believe that if you read Scripture because when you look at Scripture, it appears Jesus doesn't show up till halfway through the book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where was he all before? Well, I want to show you today that that's not entirely the case, and that's not what it is. And so you have your Bibles. We're going to go to a very different place that you normally probably go for a Christmas season, especially a nativity story, is in John chapter 1. Most of the time you go to Matthew or Luke where you hear about Jesus' birth, but John does something different. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 uh, for today, today's uh, uh, sermon. As you're turning there, in case you don't know, there, there are in the Bible are four different Gospels that all give an account of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all writing with different bents, trying to tell different aspects, different perspectives of who Jesus is. Imagine if I came in here and said, I need, I need my wife to write an account of my life. I need my daughters. I need my mom. I need someone in the church. If you guys were to come to give an account of my life, you would give a different perspective and tell different stories from what you wanted people to know about me. It's not that I'm a different person. It's the fullness of who I am. And so when you read the Gospels, that's what it is. You get four different accounts of who Jesus is, and they're all trying to give an account to say a fuller picture of something they want to tell you that you can know about Jesus. Now, now I can just tell you, uh, of all, John is the most unique of all the Gospels. 90% of John is unique compared to the other three. The other three, if you go read, you can tell they glean off each other and take some from it. There's a huge debate called the synoptic problem. If you will, they debate which one came first. I personally believe Mark came first, then Matthew or Luke, and John came last to give a different kind of account. And each of them tell different things. So, for example, Matthew, when we read his account... Matthew is writing from a Jewish perspective, trying to tell people that Jesus is the rightful heir of David's throne. He's the promised one. And so he goes back and traces Jesus through the line of David all the way up to Joseph. And so when you read the nativity account of Matthew, it's coming from Joseph's account. That's what he's trying to tell you. If you read Luke, Luke's trying to do something different. Luke's trying to talk to the Gentiles who have always felt like the outcasts and rejects. Like this was not for you. And so when you read it, Luke is trying to show that Jesus came for the least of these. And so he's trying to tell us account about the humanity of Christ and how he can relate to us. And so when you read Luke's account, he's doing it from Mary's perspective, which is not the way you would go. Mark, if you want to talk about, Mark has written, most people believe, uh, from Peter who gives the information to it. He just cares about Jesus being our Savior. He skips over the nativity, doesn't even talk about it. If you open to Mark, it starts with Jesus' baptism. We don't know anything about Jesus' birth from it. But, but what about John? What, what is John trying to get at? John, when he writes his gospel, understand this, he's trying to show the deity of Jesus. He, he wants you to see that this is the Son of God. I want you to see this. I want you to understand it. And all throughout, when you read John's gospel, you see God's power and might being displayed through Jesus, saying, this is the Son of God. I don't want you to miss this. So think for a second, how would you tell that story? If you were wanting to detail who Jesus is, and you want people to understand this is God, this is the Son of God, this is who he is, how would you begin? As we say, what child is this? Do you understand the Savior you're worshiping? Because John's trying to tell you something. So John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, let's read and see what's going on. He says this. In the beginning was the Word, 
And, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and yet darkness did not overcome it. Very cryptic language. And I want you to, uh, to expose something, what's going on. And ultimately, the big idea I want you to see that John's trying to get you to see is he doesn't go back to Jesus' birth when it was Mary and, and, and Joseph. He, he, he places them where? In, in, in the beginning. You see, ultimately, the big idea you're going to see is this, is that Jesus was here from the beginning. And we're really today, I'm just going to be honest with you, we're just unpacking verse 1 because there's so much going on there. Some of you all lose on this train ride, but I pray, pray that you stay with me as much as you can. Okay? I pray you stay with me. So he starts from the beginning, and his first point you see in the, he says this, from the beginning, Jesus was there. Look what he says. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. When, when do we first hear that terminology? In the beginning. Where do you hear that? You, you, you have to go back to the beginning. If you have your Bibles, just, just, just do me a favor. Go to Genesis chapter 1. John, John's trying to make this connection. He wants you to see it. I, I want you to know who this Jesus is, what child this is. And so you understand he, he is God. He's the son of God. He he's, was there. I, I want you to trace all the way back to the beginning. And so you get to Genesis chapter 1. And what does it say? In the beginning. It's no mistake John starts his as the same way Genesis because he's trying to like, hey, look, when you go back, Jesus is there. Don't miss it. In the beginning, Jesus was there. And so when we read it, we've heard these words in Genesis 1, it shows us. And it says, where was God in creation in Genesis chapter 1? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what does that mean? Where was God before creation? He was there. He was there. God is like, well, I, God's like, well, when I was born, this is what happened. He, he was just there. When he started creating, he, he was there. The term for it is eternally preexistent. And it, he was always before there was existence. He was just there. And if you're like, I'm lost, welcome to the club. It's a big club, and you fit right in with the rest of us. It is very confusing, and I understand that. And scientists who try to go from a big bang to explain it, which that's fine if you want to explain it, still have the trouble of explaining where did it all begin? Who started it? And Scripture tells us well, it was God who was there before. God was not created. He was not made. He, he, he was just simply was there. And so according to John, where does he tell us Jesus was? What does he say? In the beginning, was. He uses that word was. What was the word? In other words, he was there. As a matter of fact, the original Greek, which will bore you, but I'm going to throw it out anyway, is the imperfect tense means this. He was continuing. That word was means was continuing. In other words, whatever was going on before, Jesus was continuing to do that as he went on. He was already there. He was already there. In other words, Jesus was not created he was not invented. He was not originated. As one commentary said, which is terrible English, Jesus always was wasing. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it, right there? Jesus always was wasing. What, what does that mean? If you try to go back to the beginning before existence and try to trace back, guess what? Jesus would already be there to meet you. He, he was God in the beginning. Jesus wasn't created by or for something, which means, listen, he, he's not a product of anything, nor is he dependent on anything or anyone. Jesus was always there. 
And he uses this word, the word, to describe him. What a weird thing. And he uses this terminology over again. He says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus not is, was He it was the word. What does he mean by the word? Well, there's a lot of different debate what it is, but ultimately it's, it's how we reveal ourselves. How can you tell who someone is by their words, by their actions, by who they speak and what they do? You go back to creation. When does God first reveal himself? When he creates. And how does he create? But by speaking. In the beginning, when God reveals himself and begins speaking, he, he, he's there. He says, the word Jesus was there. Jesus was always there. And, and so stay with me here. From the beginning, Jesus was there. He, he didn't come out, come about because of a mistake. He wasn't created and brought up. And we'll explain the significance later on. Jesus was there. The second thing I want you to see is not only was the word, but there's another was. It says, and the word was with God. And I want you to get the second point. From the beginning, Jesus was united with God. And the word says, was with God. What does with mean? It means he's distinct, he's different from God, the Father, yet he's in eternal communion with the Father. They, they were always one in thought and spirit. They were always together. There was no difference about it. They had perfect unity. They had perfect harmony. They had perfect relationship. In the beginning was the existence of the Trinity, and they were always in perfect communion from the beginning. Jesus was always on the same page with God. If you're married, you can say, I don't completely understand what that means, right? My wife's in the room, so I can say this. Emily and I, we get along great, but we have not always been on the same page. I've always believed that at some point you always find a middle ground, but I've come to learn marriages is just sometimes you just compromise. I'm just not going to get my way. It is what it is. And we fought a lot of big battles, but I remember when we got married, we had different views on what we thought our kids' schooling should be. She was adamant on homeschooling. I was adamant about public school. And we didn't have kids, so guess what we did? Shelve it. We don't got to deal with it now. I mean, like, why get mad about it now? And we kept every year. Well, I don't know. Shelve it. Just keep uh, keep shelving it. And guess what? When we have a kid, suddenly it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> there's an issue coming on. Who's going to win this battle? And we kept shelving and kept shelving and kept shelving. Listen, there, there were times we were not always on the same page. But eventually, praise the Lord, he worked other things out and a Christian school came about that we never thought we could afford and worked out for us. But listen, when it comes to God and Jesus, like, listen, there, there was never a miscommunication. There was never a, ah, no, I want it this way, I want it this way. Listen, they, they, they were always in unity and unison. They were always with each other, one in spirit and heart and truth and all this going on. So it says Jesus was, in the beginning, Jesus was with God. But here, here's where it gets really confusing. Look what it says next. It says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But what does that mean? It means Jesus not only was with God, as in a distinct person, but he was also God at the same time. This reveals the Trinity in Scripture. We see it all the way in the beginning of creation that God was three in one. There were three different aspects of how he revealed himself, but it's all the same person. If you don't understand the Trinity, again, it's an even bigger club. And we have, we have cookies at this club. You should come and check it out. Here's one way they put it like this. God is the Father. God is also the Holy Spirit. God is, so, is also the Son. But at no point is the Father the Son. At no point is the Son the Holy Spirit. And at no point is the Holy Spirit the Father. And in other words, we worship one God who reveals himself in three different ways. And functions in three different ways. And, and I'll try to explain as much as I can, but every illustration we use here on earth at some point in church history has been thrown out as heresy because it's wrong to do it because it falls drastically short from what it is. But I'm going to give it a try anyways and just understand it's not a perfect illustration. For me, understand, I am always Eric. 
I always am. I, I never stop being Eric. But yeah, I function in different ways. I, I'm Eric the husband. I, I'm a husband to my wife. I, I'm Eric a father. I'm Eric a pastor. Those are different roles and functions I serve in. I act and behave in different ways. I function in different ways. For, for two months, I stepped out of my role as Eric the pastor. I never stopped being Eric. But yeah, I revealed myself in a different way in that season. Do you understand? Now, now listen, if, if you struggle with wrapping your mind around the Trinity, it's okay. There's certain things I don't believe we're meant to understand. And, and many people will point at this very truth and say, there's no way you can believe this insanity. Muslims will come and say, listen, they, they worship a three-headed God. This is the, they don't even understand it. And I'll say, yes, that's exactly true. Even we don't fully under, understand it. And the reason I say that is because we are finite beings trying to understand an infinite God, and there's certain things we're just not ever going to be able to fully wrap our mind around. It doesn't make it any less true. It just means there's certain truth that we are incapable of fully comprehending. Let me do it in a different way. Let me say this. Uh, do me a favor. C can you fathom certain things? Real quick, c can you imagine counting to 100? If you're right now to close your eyes and count to 100, I want you to just close your eyes and picture every single number, 1 to 100 right now, and pretend you're counting each one. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. In your mind, going across. Imagine every single number. How long do you think it would take you to count from 1 to 100 on a reasonable pace? I did this in my office just to test out. For me, I was impressed with myself, so it's 42 seconds. I was really, without running out of breath or anything, 42 seconds, count 1 to 100. Now, now same thing, I want you to do this. Imagine your mind, same thing, now can't look at a billion. If you were to look at the number of billion, 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to the number of billion, you were to count each one, how long do you think it would take you to count to a billion? I didn't do that one, I'm just going to tell you right now. Otherwise, you would really say, I told you pastors do nothing. I don't want to affirm that. I, I Googled it and looked up. If you were to reasonably count from one to a billion all the way through, scientists say it would take you 32 years to count every single one, one to a billion. If you were to count from one to a trillion, which I won't even get into the government debt, but one to a trillion, and you were to start counting that right now, same sort of thing, one, two, three, all the way up, how long would it take you to count every single number one by one in a reasonable pace? 32,000 years. 32,000 years if you're trying to count. Now, now real quick, can, can you imagine infinity numbers? Is there an infinity? Yes, the numbers keep going and going and going. I know wherever I go, there, there's always one out there. There's always one more. Eventually, you can get there, but can you truly imagine it? Can you truly confirm it? Can you truly grasp it? No. Because wherever you get, you still fall drastically short. You see, when it comes to God, there's certain things until we stand on this other side of eternity with him. We're just not going to be able to grasp. That doesn't make it less true. It doesn't make it irrational faith. It means we worship a God bigger than us, and I'm grateful for that. If I were to meet someone who says, I can fully comprehend God, I'd say, your God's too small. My God's big, and there's certain things I'm not going to grasp. And right here, when John talks, he speaks in very cryptic language that's confusing, but he's trying to get us to a deep point, that in the beginning, Jesus was there. And, and since the beginning, him and God were one. They were one. They functioned as they had. It didn't come about later. He was always there. And from the beginning, he was always God. He was always deity. He was always this. This did not just come about. It was not manufactured. He didn't get promoted once everything fell apart. He always was. 
that that's the child we worship at Christmas. He's not just the heir, the son of David, who has the rightful reigns to come and be who he said he is. He's not just the king of rejects and comes and saves the least of us in this situation. He's not just the savior that died on the cross. He's the God that always was, always will be. And we can place our faith in that. And it's okay to struggle with that. Now, now you read that and say, well, why, why is all of this important? Why, why is this important for us? Let me say it like this. Listen, if it comes to this first point, if from the beginning Jesus was there, he was always there. He didn't come about after the fall. God didn't create him, manufacture him, separate himself out. He didn't do any of that sort of stuff. If Jesus has always been there, then understand this. My faith in Jesus is secure. And you can take that to the bank. When, when it comes to Christmas, we can worship and know, listen, my, my faith is secure. Think of it about, like this. If Jesus were a plan B, he was the backup plan, then, then maybe God really isn't sovereign to carry out plan A. And ultimately, if he's not sovereign enough to carry out plan A, and we had to go to plan B, ultimately I can be putting my faith in something that might fall apart and I might need a plan C. But it wasn't that way. God knew. God was sovereign. God was secure. And so my faith is secure, and so I can have confidence when I walk and live this life that, listen, it's not going to all just fall apart. God is sovereign, and my faith is secure. We, we live in a world right now that depends on this right here. And every day, the value of this changes, doesn't it? And there's constant fears. We see what happens in our world that suddenly this will lose all its value, and this will be just what it simply is, paper. I'm pretty sure they don't have gold that backs it up anymore. And even gold really has value that we've just placed value on it. You see, we can hold this and we can continue to place our faith in the source of saying, but at some point, this may fall apart. And you've seen it happen with other uh, countries in the world that it falls apart and it's suddenly worth nothing. Everything that we thought we put our faith in, plan A, really falls apart. We need a plan B and C. And when it comes to God, when it comes to our faith, there will never be and never has been a plan B. My, my faith is secure. I can worship with confidence. No matter what happens with this and rise and fall, no matter what ha happens with my health, and I think all things are secure, at the end of the day, my faith will not be shaken because I know it sits on the shoulders of the one who is not shaken. Second thing I want you to understand is this. It, it, not only is, is that important, but from the beginning, if Jesus is always united with God, you need to understand this. Jesus really does love us. If this is a truth scripture points to us, this, Jesus really does love this, love us. Think of it like this, if Jesus wasn't a product of our mistake, if he just didn't simply come about because Adam and Eve messed up and if we had the opportunity, we would have done the same thing. If Jesus is not just a product brought about because of our mistake, understand this, listen, and he was there with God, then he was an advocate for our salvation. He was saying, hey, send me. I, I, I have an idea. I want to be a part of this. In other words, understand this. Jesus chose the cross out of love for us. He wasn't a reluctant person shoved and say, hey, fix this problem, do it. He chose, it wasn't forced upon him. And some of us struggle with feeling love. Man, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my past. And Jesus is like, no, I do. As a matter of fact, I love scripture says this. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you're still in your worst possible state, not believing that you could ever be fixed. Listen, Christ died for us. He wasn't reluctant. 
If you don't know what reluctancy, I want to show you a video clip. In, in 2015, in a Super Bowl uh, 49, there's a running back named Marshawn Lynch, who was one of the best running backs in the league at the point. And before Super Bowls, they like to have a lot of media press, and they like to have a lot of time where they interview players, and the players are required to, Marshawn Lynch is an introvert, he hates talking to people, he didn't want to do it, but if he didn't do it, they would find him and force him and take away his money. And so his whole time in media press, this is what he said, and I want you to just picture this, grain this in your mind, so play that clip real quick. I'm here so I won't get fined. 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 I'm just here so I won't get fined. Hey, I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm here so I won't get fined. Hey, you better make more with your time. You only got three more minutes. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Hey, I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Hey, I'm here so I won't get fined, boss. Hey, I'm just here so I won't get fined. Hey, I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. That's kind of funny, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and he didn't get fined because he did what they had to do. He had to answer questions and he just answered the whole time. Listen, aren't you grateful that's not our Savior? Aren't you grateful that's not Jesus going, I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here. Why? I'm just here because this is what God. I, I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Why do you think I'm just here so I won't get fined? J Jesus wasn't reluctant. Jesus wasn't just simply being obedient. Jesus loves us. J Jesus loves you to the point that he gave his life on the cross for you and paid a price that you can't pay so that you could have salvation. If we're in a world where we're constantly vying, trying to buy people's love or earn people's love and affection in any relationship we have and stuff, listen, Jesus freely gave it to us because he loves you. And so when you read Jesus was with God, understand he was there, part of that decision making says, hey, I'll do it. L let's do this. The last thing I want you to see about this truth that is so profound for us is this. If it says from the beginning Jesus always was God, I need you to grasp this, that Jesus really can save us. Let that sink in for a second. If Jesus really is God, then he's the only one who could really save us from our sins. Other religions try to tell you good works, good merits. Pretend that that sin is not even there. Just pretend it's a figment of your imagination. Work really hard. Do good deeds. All this sort of stuff. Listen, it all falls drastically short when we realize we've sinned against the holy God. And there's only one who can pay the debt and make it right. And who is it? It's God himself. And if Jesus is really God, when he says he did it, we can trust that it happened. We can place our faith, our stock, and say, hey, there is value in that. Because we can trust it. I apologize for quoting TV shows, but one of my favorite is The Office. Don't condone it or whatever, but I, I can't help. And one of my favorite episodes in there is where Michael Scott, who's the boss of this company, long ago he made promise to some third graders called Scott's Tots where he told them, says, listen, if you guys graduate from high school, I will pay for your college tuition. Made a promise. Everyone was excited. And so in the episode it comes in, what happens? Every single one of these kids work very hard believing, man, this guy, Michael Scott's going to pay for our college tuition. And guess what? They call him up to come celebrate him. And he walks in in this look of fear because you know what happens? He doesn't have the money to do it. 
And the whole episode is he's sitting there just terrified, realizing he's going to have to break bad news. And he thinks, maybe if I bring computer batteries and give it to him instead, that might suffice. Listen, when we get to the end, Jesus is not going to be standing there going, listen, I know I, know I told you I could save you. But listen, how about some cookies instead? Jesus can take it to the bank. He can pay the price. He can do it because he's God. We, we can have confidence in it. Our faith has value. Our faith means something. It is secure. And so we come for Christmas and we worship. What, what child is this I'm worshiping? This, this is God in flesh. This is the son of God. This is the savior of the world that can pay your debt, pay your dues, and loves you so much. And the question is, will you come to believe that? And so John's trying to get you to understand what I said at the beginning is this. Jesus was here from the beginning. Even though we make a lot of mistakes, that's not why Jesus was produced. That, that's not how it came about. Je Jesus was always there. And, and so for us, listen, you've got to understand this. Here, here's the invitation you have today. You were always a part of Jesus' plan. You may feel like a mistake, but you're not. My best friend growing up, his siblings were much older than him. He found out later that he was unintended. His brother used to ruthlessly give him a hard time about that. You know, mom and dad didn't want you. You were a mistake. I remember spending time with him, listening to him cry in his room because that's how he felt. Like, man, if my parents had the choice, that they, they didn't want me. I, I was a mistake. Can I, can I tell you, listen, here's your, you were always a part of God's plan. Jesus has always loved you. You weren't the last pick in the draft. He's like, oh, okay, I guess I, have to, I guess I have to take this guy, whatever. Come on. Like, Jesus has always loved you from the beginning of time. And Jesus really can save you. And the question you have to answer for yourself is this. Do you believe that? Do, do you want that? Because in his great love, he does not force himself upon anybody, but allows us the freedom of will and choice to say, God, I want you or reject you. And he allows us to live our life in whatever decision we make. But listen, the consequences are ours to make and decide. But if you want the gift of salvation, it's as free as this. As you kind of say, God, I'm tired of doing it myself. I've made a mess. And no matter how hard I try, I can't clean it up. But you made a way. And I need it. And I want you to save me. If you'll come be my savior, come live in my, I give, I'll give all my ugly baggage to you, I, and I want all of you. And listen, the beautiful thing is God freely exchanges those gifts. And you walk around in a room of people like this, of not great people, of very messed up people. I hate to tell you, I, I know some of y'all too well. I'm including myself in that same thing. But the beauty is in the room, you're full of redeemed people. But, but no one can make that choice for you. You have to choose. And, and so Grant's going to come up with the band, and they're, they're going to come prepare us in our hearts in a time of worship. During that time, we're going to have elders in the front. We're going to have other leaders in the back. That if you just want to come and pray and say, listen, I want this gift, man, don't leave here today without knowing. Maybe you're walking with uncertainty. Say, I think I'm saved, but I'm not really sure. Listen, don't leave here with questions of doubt. Leave with confidence saying, I know I'm a child of God. But you've got to respond, it's you. And for some of you today, it may be this, you know you're a child of God, 
But you haven't been living as a child of God. You've been abusing that gift like it's nothing. And today you need to come say, Jesus, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know I belong to you, but man, I haven't been, I haven't been appreciating what you've given. And I, I just today want to commit my life back to you of being faithful and recommit to you. But you've got to respond. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and whatever the Lord's laying on your heart, ask for confidence to respond. with your head bowed and eyes closed, just real quick to God, I want you to just do this. You can say it out loud or you can say it just in the stillness of your heart. Say this to God if you would. Jesus, I believe I was a part of your plan. Say, Jesus, I believe you really do love me. last thing I say is this, Jesus, I believe only you can save me. And in that same prayer, say this, in light of those things, God, how do you want me to respond today? Father God, I love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for what was revealed. God, I pray no one got lost in the depth as we talk about things that are just too, some, honestly difficult for us to comprehend. But you bring us back to the truth of what's being said. And God, I pray, I'd be, I pray in this room we would all leave here as people freed in you. Freed from our shame, freed from our guilt, freed from our insecurities, freed from our, our, our whatever we feel like we don't live up to. Realize that you died on the cross to free us from all those things. And some of us in the room who are holding on for dear life, those things that we refuse to let go of, the things that give us meaning and purpose and life and, and value, we grasp onto our plans and say, I'm going to keep control of these things. And God, I pray you just help us to release those things. And come to begin to understand what it means to be saved. God, for those in the sound of my voice who are saved, God, help them start living like it. to walk around in freedom and joy. Help them to have something this Christmas season that's so appealing that people look at them and say, what's different about you? And we can point back to you. Instead of acting like the most miserable people in the world. Call us to action. I pray whoever sound my voice right now that God, you, you're just, that, that conviction, like you know, they know that you're saying something, they just don't know what it is. God, help them not to leave here without getting up and talking to someone. Help us to respond. Thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would stand. We're, we're going to worship. And if you, you've felt that leading to respond, I've got Bradley Cox, one of our elders over here. We've got J.D. Gortney. We've got Stephen D. Riley in the back. They would love nothing more. We've got Amber and Corey Whalen in the back. In the back, you guys wave your hands so you can see them. Listen, please, they, they want to talk to you, to pray for you, and encourage you. Maybe you just need to pray and encouragement to believe these things. Whatever it is, you respond. But don't leave here without responding. So let's worship together as we respond.